Are we living through a porn epidemic? Here's what the science has to say. In case you missed it, here's a post from April about pornography's effects on people and the massive anti-porn propaganda network masquerading as science, filling the internet with baseless lies and distorted claims. Before I get to the piece from April, I'm going to discuss this a bit further so people can understand my perspective a bit better. My criticisms of the anti-porn movement don't mean that I am pro-porn industry. In today's world, people, especially activists, demand that you take a black and white view of every single subject. It's part of the group mentality that dominates the social media space, including Google and YouTube. If you're not sufficiently with a certain group that's against another certain group, you represent a threat to that group's cohesion when that group is operating under groupthink principles. One problem is that reality is never black and white. Another problem is that disliking something doesn't give me a pass to do whatever I want. I might strongly disagree with something someone does, but that doesn't mean I believe we should lie about what that person does wrong in order to make them look worse. This is exactly what's happening with the porn discussion. On the one hand, let's face it, a lot of porn is kind of gross for a lot of people. It's terrible that some people feel like they have to compete with porn for attention or sexual affection. Worst of all, I'm bothered by the unashamed and cartoonish commodification of sexuality and attraction. This is true across the board for pretty much everything in consumer society. We commodify love. We commodify friendship. We commodify familial ties. And we commodify sexuality. Everything is purchased and nothing is sacred. But that doesn't mean I'm going to automatically believe every lie piled up in front of me that goes against the porn industry. That's not what honesty is all about. Honesty is about checking your personal biases at the door the best you can. It's also crucial that whenever we talk about sex, we separate genuine moral harm, like you know child predators and sex trafficking rings, from the ick factor that too often accompanies sexual things. We must ask ourselves, who's being hurt by this activity? If you think someone is, but they themselves don't even know it, and that person isn't a child or being physically or financially or reputationally threatened by another person somehow, it's really tough to justify that belief. The trouble is, some groups exist strictly to manufacture moral transgression about other groups and individuals because they have an ick factor against that certain group. That group disgusts them, and so they make up lies to try to smear them. You see this happen with racial and sexual minorities all the time. A racist person might use the N-word, or they might present quote-unquote facts from dubious information sources that were carefully selected to make the target race look bad. The intent is the same, and I'd say the consequences of the latter, of manipulating information, are potentially far worse than using a mean slur. I don't believe that religions that have spent literally centuries punishing sex, sometimes legally, oftentimes with the death penalty, should have anything to say whatsoever about sexual health. And there's the rub. The piece that I'm about to read you took me months of research, day in and day out. 
I didn't find a single anti-porn organization that I couldn't trace back to the church. Big name, big budget churches, not your local pastor. There wasn't a single bit of quote-unquote research claims that weren't easily debunked in a few hours of research or claims that weren't even wholly manufactured, straight-up lies, by mostly the Mormon church but also other churches. Because these organizations understand that sexual liberty threatens their belief system's very existence. This is especially true for anti-LGBT churches. This is especially true for churches who are against women and women's right to self-determination, especially sexual self-determination. Big porn and big church are having a very public feud. And when asked to pick a side, I kind of refuse. I vote neither. Though I can't prove that porn is actually harmful. The church has been obviously very harmful for centuries. The truth is, digging through piles of research for countless hours, I couldn't find a lot of solid data that says porn is actually bad for you. In fact, a lot of it said it was either neutral or kind of good for you. So to that degree, I can't really hate on porn, but that doesn't mean that I have to love it either. Anyways, here's the piece. And I hope you'll continue to listen with all of this in mind. Porn is a touchy subject. On the one hand, people love it. It feels like it's everywhere. Porn companies rake in billions more than some of our largest corporations. Household names, might I add. Pornhub is only a click away. On the other hand, many people feel discomfort and shame when pornography enters the picture. And if you don't like porn, you don't like porn, and the ease of access can feel suffocating. It can feel like you're forced to measure up to performers who go to extreme lengths to create a final product. Recently, I was listening to a podcast where they were interviewing an adult film actress who said she had to spend weeks preparing for some scenes. Obviously, most people don't have weeks to prepare for a single sex act with their partners, what, between kids and work, it's really hard to find that time. On top of this, porn is a habit we carry into new relationships with us. One partner may find porn perfectly acceptable, while the other partner considers porn an uninvited guest. How porn affects our lives depends on the person in question. But what does science have to say about all this? Let's talk about the pornography epidemic. First, Let's tackle the elephant in the living room. Numerous sites exist solely to scare you into believing there's a porn epidemic. All of these sites try to sell you something or get you to pay them money so that they can cure the problem. We're in the middle of basically a sex panic, a moral panic where aggressive institutions are trying to convince the public that sex is bad in hopes they'll adopt more conservative social views. They claim that pornography is rampant, and in some ways it kind of is. But make no mistake, these are very conservative and very religious organizations masquerading as unbiased academics. Covenant Eyes doesn't try to hide its religious undertones. It's right there in the name. The very popular site Fight the New Drug is more covert, pretending to be an unbiased site just trying to give you the facts. But they're really a nonprofit based in Utah with deep, ambiguous ties to the Mormon Church. 
On the one hand, the group's founders claim to be acting out of sincere concern for public well-being. That's if you go to Fight the New Drugs website. But the group's leadership has consistently fought to repeal anti-LGBTQ legislation. The leaders of these organizations, not necessarily the organizations themselves, aren't just anti-porn. They're anti-sex. Or at least, they're against any kind of sex that isn't religious or for procreation. Not exactly the epitome of intellectual rigor. All of the big names hail from Utah and have ties with the Church of Latter-day Saints. Internal literature from the church proves that the mission is moral and not scientific. In other words, for them, it's truly about the ick factor and not about mitigating harm. When they talk amongst one another, they don't hide being propagandists. In the text below, I've offered plenty of links from their own literature that basically tells you right up front that they want to convert people away from having open sex lives. Again, this represents a major threat to large church institutions. These church institutions rake in billions per year, and without future converts, their future is in question. One woman frequently featured on Fight the New Drug, the website, even went as far as to say that women who watch porn are increasing their likelihood of being raped. A lot of people don't realize that the organizations driving a lot of the anti-porn disinformation aren't the harmless, unbiased nonprofits that they appear to be at a first glance, but think tanks steeped in religious zealotry and social conservatism. One site claims that 30% of the internet is porn. They also claim that porn sites enjoy more daily users than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. They also say that 88% of porn is violence against women. But science tells a very different story. First off, the 30% number is just totally bunk. This has been proven time and again. An excellent book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, What the Internet Tells Us About Sexual Relationships, dove headfirst into the labyrinthine questions that relatively new technologies like internet pornography have now manifested. Researchers scanned billions of data points to find what makes us tick when no one's looking, and basically that's when we're searching for internet porn. The study found that only 4% of websites are pornographic, contrary to the huge 30% claim. Furthermore, very few web searches are actually for porn. Considering that one user could conduct hundreds or even thousands of different pornographic searches, all fetching roughly the same sites, we can expect the number of total searches to be higher than the number of sites catering to those searches. 13% of web searches from the web browser and 20% of mobile searches are for porn. Below, there's a chart from Statista that shows an updated version of the prevalence of porn online. How much of the internet consists of porn? 4% of websites, 13% of web searches, and 20% of mobile searches. In the 1990s, a substantial percentage of internet searches were for porn, up to 40% in 1999. That's not because we're all madly porn-hungry or anything, but it's because so few people had internet access and those who did didn't really have many choices. YouTube didn't exist, social media didn't exist, even sites like eBay and Amazon were in their infancy. You could look up stock prices, news, porn, and not do too much else. 
Since those sites became popular, the percentage of porn searches sank to between 4 and 10% in the 2000s, 20 years ago. So for any of these companies to be claiming that it's 30% today is just ludicrous. We have tools like Google Trends available to us now, and if these overblown claims were indeed true, we'd likely see porn dominating the trending searches all the time. But that's not the case. We don't see that. I often conduct research into the best performing searches, and I've never seen a pornographic search top the list. Usually it's pop culture news and sports, especially soccer. Celebrities are also a big hit. All these organizations have to do is conduct the necessary research, but their purpose isn't to inform. It's to misinform and to scare. So what's the problem? The problem is these organizations are politically and religiously motivated, and they're deflecting away from some uncomfortable truths. In a stroke of pure irony, Fight the New Drug even cites research that's shown that it's not pornography that's the issue, in itself at least, but it's religious affiliation and conservative views about sex that cause internal conflicts in some porn viewers. This is what leads people to consistently feel like their porn viewing habits are unhealthy. Because when your goal is zero, then any amount that's more than that is too much. It tragically inspired the mass shooting at the massage parlor in Atlanta in 2020. In other words, their ideological leanings are the problem, not the porn. I've covered this in depth here on The Science of Sex, but it's important to double down and reiterate it. A small percentage of people who watch pornography feel like the amount of pornography they're watching or even the amount of sex they're having, as in the case of the shooter in Atlanta, is far too much. But when you cross-reference these people's beliefs, you find out that they are usually evangelical or they belong to an ideology that's still vehemently anti-sex. Nazism isn't particularly religious, but it's very anti-sex. Again, when your goal is zero porn and zero sex, as a human being, you are guaranteed to miss that goal. This causes immense internal conflict, and for some people, it drives them crazy, tragically. For the claim that 88% of porn depicts violence against women, the organization cited a single study that was initially published in a journal called Violence Against Women and it included all forms of consensual aggression as violent acts against women. In other words, pretty much any BDSM in a porn video, no matter how light, would automatically hit such a low bar. The threshold was set so low that even hair pulling was considered violence against women. Granted, hair pulling is a wide category, but they included everything. Numerous studies have proven this wrong since. Most rational people don't consider consensual light spanking as violence against women. It's a gross distortion of the meaning of the words violence against women, which is a very, very serious problem that I've covered at length. The thing is, I don't believe that we should go lying and making things up to prove a point that violence against women is a problem, because there's plenty of real legitimate violence against women going on that we can rightly criticize and we absolutely should. The claims about the potential dangers of porn are also clearly overblown. The work of Nicole Prouse at UCLA has shown that a lot of the neuroscience, quote-unquote, published claiming to show that porn is addictive like a drug is actually just 
pseudoscience. I did the research myself. I looked at all the studies. And you know what? All of them trace back to one guy. And guess what? He's a high up member of the Mormon church. He even published a book on how Jesus Christ can help you stop having sex or watching porn. Again, this isn't somebody who has a lot of scientific rigor. If you're going to write such a book, you shouldn't be talking about sexuality. Time and again, studies have shown that the idea that porn is addictive is straight-up disinformation. From Cambridge to Oxford to UCLA, big-time researchers in many different countries have all debunked this idea that porn is addictive like a drug. A brand new study published at Oxford says that porn doesn't fit the public health definition of crisis. Study linked below. And no, it doesn't cause erectile dysfunction either. Study also linked below. It's also deeply sinister. These organizations must know that they're instilling extremely harmful ideas in people's minds. Believing in porn addiction creates those conflicting thoughts in people, and it makes them seriously depressed. It's the oldest trick in the book. Convince people that they have a problem and that you're the solution to the problem. Then sell them the solution. Porn may not be as harmful as people say, but does that mean it's utterly harmless? Well, not exactly. These websites and activist movements are successful because they speak to people's fears and traumas. Their statistics might be bunk, but they resonate with people's pain. And guess what? That pain is real. And just because someone's emotional traumas don't bend to the cold, hard rigor of logic doesn't mean they aren't real. And it doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be respected. The truth is, porn can be harmful to some people. People with lingering sexual trauma. Whether that trauma is from sexual assault, strict religious upbringing, or just conflicting beliefs about sexual morality, lingering trauma can trigger intense feelings of pain, fear, insecurity, or worry in many people if they're exposed to pornography. In a perfect world, we'd all be able to snap our fingers and overcome our lingering sexual hangups overnight. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in an ugly, messy world with partners who are living, breathing human beings, complete with complex emotions. What if you get with somebody and they love porn and you still have hangups about it? You're going to have to work that out. And I highly suggest seeking professional help if you do have any serious problems when it comes to sexuality. There's no shame in working through them with another person who's a professional in the matter. And even when trauma isn't present, studies have shown that when a partner uses pornography as a substitute for partner sex, our partners tend to suffer. Duh. Porn isn't a replacement for sex. It's not a replacement for your partner. It's a component that, if used properly, can help those who consume it to explore and express their sexual selves better. It can help couples come together. Yes, there's an abundance of research stating this. But porn is certainly not the huge boogeyman that it's being painted out to be. And I felt that this article was important to republish because of how widespread the beliefs have become. Even secular people who might identify as feminists might sometimes cite Fight the New Drug as if it weren't an organization with deep ties to a church that's actively trying to oppress their sex lives. To me, this makes no sense. Let's stick with legitimate science. Let's stick with the science of sex 